Well, good morning, VRBC. Um, thanks so much to you who are joining us online. Thanks so much to you who are joining us in person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for your goodness to us. Thanks that you define who we are. Thanks for your Holy Spirit who's always with us. Uh, may your spirit be with us right now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to week five of the sermon series called This Is My Story. Uh, so grateful to Alex and Edith and to so many uh, who have shared their story. Uh, I need to, to tell you that uh, I'm kind of calling an audible today. Uh, and you can do that when you're QB1, by the way. Uh, I don't know why I said that. Uh, that uh, uh, today is going to be a bit of an unusual day. This morning, I'm going to take the sermon slot and I'm going to share my story. Uh, I've been inspired by so many of you who've, who've shared deeply about how you've experienced Jesus through the joys and pains of your life. And, you know, being here, as long as I've been here, I've shared lots of bits and pieces of my journey with you through the years. But uh, I don't know if I've ever, like, shared the whole story. I, and I won't share the whole story, but, but uh, I plan to share a bit of the bigger picture. And there's a specific reason why I'm doing that today. And that is, I need to let you know that God is writing a new chapter uh, in my story, and uh, it is uh, something that will impact our church's story as well. Uh, and just to kind of cut to the chase, I want you to know that God is calling me and calling Jolita and me to a, a new adventure. Uh, today, I want to let you know that I've accepted a position to become a clinical professor of Christian ministry and director of mentoring at Truett Seminary, which is a part of my alma mater, Baylor University in Waco, Texas. And so I'll be joining the faculty there. My new job starts June 1st, uh, and my last Sunday in the, in the pulpit is scheduled uh, for May 21st. That's a lot, right? Uh, that's, that's a lot. Um, so what I wanna do is I wanna kinda back up, and uh, I wanna share my story um, and I want to share in the process of how God has been readying me for this new chapter in my story. And uh, to do so, I want, to, I want to share a passage of scripture that uh, is not in the Gospel of John. We'll get back to the Gospel of John next week. But uh, this passage of scripture, perhaps more than any other, has set the course for my life's journey. On the one hand, this passage of scripture has diagnosed me. It's been an MRI. Uh, it's highlighted areas of weakness and sin. And on another hand, this passage has pointed to the deepest grace notes of my life and journey with God. And so it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, the apostle Paul, a missionary, is writing to his young protege, a young man named Timothy. And... Um, I want to pick it up in, in chapter 1, verse 4. Paul has just told Timothy that he's been praying for Timothy. Timothy's obviously been struggling. Uh, and, uh, and Paul says in verse 4, hear the word of the Lord. Recalling your tears, Timothy, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, if this were a normal sermon, I'd go into a lot of detail about who Paul is and who Timothy is and why Paul wrote not one but two letters to Timothy, and, and I'd share a little more in depth about Timothy's heritage of faith and uh, on the, the, the Jewish side, or on, on the, the, his mother's side, uh, kind of this heritage of Jewish faith, and perhaps some of the insecurities that he faced on his father's side and uh, his father's uh, uh, Gentile upbringing. I'd probably talk about how uh, Paul um, uh, enrolled Timothy into, uh, uh, into the work of the gospel ministry and, and kind of uh, helped him become a missionary. I'd talk about some of Timothy's greatest virtues, his, his humility and consistency and his servant's heart. But I'd also talk about some of Timothy's deepest liabilities, his tendency to give in to worry and to fear uh, and to kind of a spiritual low self-esteem. I'd talk about all that in depth. It would be fascinating. Uh, but I don't have time to do that and accomplish my other goals. So let me just say at this point that Jesus has used this passage and others like it, I think to guide my whole life, even before I even knew it, Jesus was using the truths of this passage in my life. If it's not already clear, I personally identify a great deal with Timothy. Uh, I, I, I definitely identify with verses six and seven. And so I want you to just sit with these verses uh, as I share my story with you. We'll put them up on the screen again. Paul, who was there at Timothy's ordination, who, who laid hands on Timothy and prayed for him when Timothy was being called into gospel ministry, he says to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame, to rekindle this gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that God gives us does not make us timid, fearful, but rather gives us through the Holy Spirit spiritual power, deep love, and self-discipline. That's kind of the theme. So without further ado, VRBC, this, this is my story. And uh, chapter one is uh, the house of faith. My story begins in a house of faith. Uh, while Timothy had a, a strong uh, background in the God of Abraham on his mother's side, uh, I was blessed uh, to grow up in a home where two parents loved and followed Jesus. Uh, like Timothy, my sincere faith uh, first lived in my mom and dad. Uh, and they, you know, kind of like candles passing a flame, they passed on that flame of faith to me. When I was in second grade, I professed faith in Christ and uh, I was baptized at Parkdale Baptist Church. It probably looked something like that. A really sad Captain Kirk. Uh, <laughs> but as is, is probably clear uh, for, for so many of us, just because you grow up in a house of faith and in a church house of faith, it doesn't mean that your life is smooth sailing. And one of the things that that little boy uh, struggled with uh, is he struggled with uh, shyness. Um, in fact, as I think about my life, um, one huge challenge has been, kind of the way I phrase it for chapter two is, 
Uh, I was a quiet boy with something to say. That's, that's sort of a tagline for my whole life. A quiet boy with something to say. Now when I say quiet, I mean very shy, painfully shy. Turn red when you say hi to me, kind of shy. And often fearful. I usually would, if, if I could, if there was no assigned seating, I would sit in the back of the class, away from everybody else. I rarely spoke up, either to teachers or, or fellow students. I bet a lot of you in the room can, can relate. But here's the challenging part of all that. At a fairly young age, I began to wonder if God had something that he wanted me to say. <laughs> when you're a really quiet, shy person, and yet, what, what if God has something he wants me to say? I was maybe 16 or 17, and I went to a Texas Baptist youth camp. It was called Super Summer. And there was a, um, a youth evangelist there. His name was Dawson McAllister. He was a fantastic preacher. I mean, he was funny, and, and he just preached so well. He'd speak for an hour, and you wouldn't even realize it. And I just remember I was spellbound. And it was around that time that this little thought bubble kind of popped into my head, which was, what if I could do something like that? And I think that's when it started to dawn on me that God was calling me to be a pastor. But based on what I've just said, you know, a huge question, just kind of question mark, just sort of hovered over me, and that is, how does a quiet boy preach? <laughs> how does a shy, timid boy lead? Especially when kind of being in the back of the class is my comfort zone. How in the world would I ever stand up at the front of the class with all eyes on me <laughs> and open my mouth to speak? What would I do about that timid spirit that always seemed to call the shots in my life? Now, I'd like to tell you when I you know, was feeling this at the age of 16 or 17 that fear left me. That's not true. Fear did not leave me, but a new vision did come into me. Jesus was clearly doing something in my life. There was no other way to explain it. And Jesus was so kind to plant this holy dream in my heart at such a young age. And so as, as Paul would write to Timothy, I also would need to cling to the truth that God has not given us a spirit of timidity. And so when I felt fear overtaking me, I had to be able to say, that's not from God. God doesn't give us that. God gives us his Holy Spirit. Soon, a couple years later, I was at a youth camp in Glorieta, New Mexico. It was the summer after I graduated high school, and I committed my life to follow Jesus with my vocation. I went down front and shook somebody's hand and prayed. Uh, I'd signed a, a little thing on a clipboard and checked the box and all that. Uh, I was signed up, and I had no idea what the journey was going to look like. I came home and shared the news. I shared it with our senior pastor. He was very helpful. He, he suggested I go to a Baptist college and named Baylor as one of the possibilities. Uh, he suggested I not major in religion. I'd get enough of that at seminary, major in history or English literature or something like that. I said, English literature sounds good. Uh, when I told my parents about my decision, they were um, uh, thrilled for me and proud of me. When I told them I wanted to go to a private school, Baylor University, they turned very pale. <laughs> they were still wrapping their minds around paying for a state school, and here I wanted to go to a private school. But 
They rallied, my mom soon went back to work. I spent my freshman year at a junior college in Corpus Christi saving and raising money. And that led to uh, a really important uh, chapter in my life, chapter three, which I'm gonna call Pivotal Years on the Brazos. I moved near the Brazos River, Waco, Texas in the fall of 1981. And I would have to say that um, those years that I spent there were so pivotal in my life. It was there that Jesus led me towards some crucial discoveries. First, I would have to say that it was really um, at college at Baylor where I began to find my voice. Um, I spent my first semester at Baylor following the path of a typical quiet, shy boy. And let's just say I spent a lot of time alone in my apartment on Friday and Saturday nights. But later in that spring, I got involved with a a Christian drama group through the Baptist Student Union at Baylor. And I can't explain why, really, to this day, I can't explain why, but it helped me to come out of my shell. There was something about being on stage with a microphone in my hand. I was able to say the things that I wanted to say. And when people saw me on stage, they realized that um, I had something to say, and they also realized I had a sense of humor uh, and was kind of silly and, uh, and all that. And so it was, it was kind of at Baylor that I began to kind of come out of my shell more, and, and, I, and, I, and I began to find my voice. Very second important discovery for me at Baylor was I, I found my girl. Uh, Zalita and I started dating during my last semester at Baylor and I cannot tell you how her life has impacted my life and my, my ministry. I found in her a love and stability, unconditional support that was there then and has been there every step of the way. And I wouldn't be doing what I do without her. That's us at our rehearsal dinner, I think. Uh, is that right? Rehearsal dinner? Yeah. I should remember that. Back then, you had to wear really big glasses to protect your eyes from flying objects, by the way. <laughs> I found my voice. I found my girl. It was also, I think, at Baylor that I really discovered my intellectual curiosity. I discovered that I love learning. And now I was focused in on a love of scripture and a love for literature and a love for writing. And that eventually led me to three years at a seminary in Fort Worth, but then later, Jolita and I would both return to Baylor and we would both pursue our doctorates and she got hers before mine. We were doctor and mister for a while, but uh, not too long after that, I got mine as well and got to wear that funny hat and, um, and it was just such a joy. I remember being in Waco um, a few years ago Jack and Timothy were making a college visit and we stayed at this hotel that was just right on the the opposite side of I-35 from from campus. And and one Saturday morning, it was sort of foggy and drizzly and I got up early and sort of went under the underpass and just started walking around the campus. And uh, because it was drizzly, I, I felt like I had the whole campus to myself. And I just started remembering so many wonderful friendships and and life shaping experiences and this line from one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 16 popped in my head and it says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. 
The psalmist is saying to God, God, I love the territory that you fenced in for me. You have fenced in a beautiful space for me. Thank you, God, for shepherding me so well. That's how I feel. Well, that's led to another chapter, um, a post-seminary and post-school chapter that uh, you would might call chapter four apprenticeship. Um, In many ways, the decade of the 1990s was for me a lengthy apprenticeship. God had so much for me to learn. God had so many ways for me to grow. First of all, um, in the 90s, we seemed to be having kids right and left. I don't know where they came from. It's just like they just kept coming and coming and coming. It's just one of life's great mysteries. But I had, I had so much to learn about being a good husband and being a good father, still learning. Um, it was right around that season two that Jalita and, I, and baby Drew moved to Atlanta. We spent um, uh, six years at Dunwoody Baptist Church in Atlanta. And my friend Jim Johnson, who had been my boss before in Waco, uh, he as he had done before, he continued to to mentor me. And I learned so much about preaching and teaching. I learned so much about what bold leadership looks like. I learned so much about staff management from my friend Jim Johnson. He was so generous to me. You know, technically he was my boss or really my boss's boss, but there weren't these layers of org chart between us. He was a friend to me and, uh, and still is. And I just think Jesus was so kind to give me that kind of pastoral mentor. You know, one of the cool things that Jim did was he gave me opportunities to preach uh, during an era when it was not common for senior pastors to open up the pulpit to other staff members. Uh, That just wasn't done, but he, he gave me those opportunities. And when people complimented my preaching to him, uh, he wasn't threatened, he was gratified because he had been pouring into me. It was just an extraordinary kind of leadership example that he set for me. And so in Atlanta, I really started preaching, and boy, did I love to preach. Um, I wasn't exactly sure about all the leadership stuff that came with being a pastor, but I loved preaching. And I also loved kind of pastoral care and just walking side by side with people who were struggling. Much of the time we were in Atlanta, I was a singles minister, and so I did a lot of weddings and and I, I did quite a few funerals as well. And we had a great life in Atlanta. And, you know, not being a senior pastor, I wasn't as close to the front lines of controversy that inevitably go with that role. And, and if you had asked me then, I would have told you that being a senior pastor was not on my bucket list. Um, I probably would have said in a moment of candor, no, <laughs> I'm way too timid uh, for that kind of role. I remember very clearly one day, I was having lunch with a friend of mine in another church, a guy named Bill, and he said something really confrontive to me. Uh, but you know, Proverbs 27, six says that wounds from a friend can be trusted. And when a friend wounds you with the truth, God's truth, uh, you can trust that. And he said to me, Larry, he said, I feel like you have a lot of preaching gifts, but I don't feel like you're being a good steward of them. I don't think preaching a dozen times a year is what God's calling you to do. I think you need to be preaching more. In fact, Larry, I think you need to consider being a senior pastor. And I just got to tell you, I was not sure what to do with all that. In my mind, I pigeonholed senior pastors. I thought of them as extroverts, and I'm an introvert. 
I thought of them as loud. Uh, you know, did anybody ever have a loud pastor growing up? Well, grab your bulletin. We're so glad you're here today. Come on in. You know, that kind of thing. And I thought, I'm not that guy, right? Uh, I am just not that guy. Uh, I'm quiet. I thought of them as bold. And I knew my struggles with fear. But you know what? Once my friend Bill said that to me at lunch, it kind of lodged in there. It was something that I really couldn't get out of my head or my heart. And I began to feel Jesus' courage to to pursue senior pastor leadership. And through a strange set of providential circumstances, my mentor, Jim's best friend, uh, was a guy named Paul Baston, who was the founding pastor of Valley Ranch Baptist Church. And Paul recommended me to your search committee. And that led to the next chapter of my life, which I um, feel very comfortably calling the great adventure. The great adventure of my life has been the privilege of being your pastor. And that great adventure virtually coincided with uh, the launch of the 21st century. This is what our church looked like in 1999 when I came to it. I used to have an office right here that looked out over the front parking lot and we used to worship where our children are now and there wasn't really youth space up here. It, uh, things have changed quite a bit, but, but, but that's, that's where the Lord brought us in 1999, and I had so much learning to do on the job. In some ways back then, I would tell you that I felt and probably still feel a lot like an old school pastor in a new school environment. What do I mean by that? Well, as a pastor, I feel pretty competent to do the kinds of things that Baptist pastors would have been doing 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 300 years ago. And I don't, by the way, mean chopping wood or milking cows, but, but think about it. 200 years ago, say, Baptist pastors would, would be expected to preach and to teach, to dedicate children and to baptize people, to marry and to bury, to counsel people through the joys of, and sadnesses of life. I felt competent to do that in 1999, and I, I feel competent to do that today. But what I struggled with were, were all the new roles expected of a pastor of a church our size in the 21st century. Things like budgets and performance reviews and building plans and administrating discipleship programs and strategy and vision and so many other new school realities. And I struggled. But the good news for me is that this church was and is incredibly patient. And you as a church have continued from day one to surround me and us with resources and staff and buildings and facilities and conferences and consultants and books and so many other things to help us grow. It's really been uh, extraordinary. Another very gracious thing that you did for me uh, was you helped me continue to pursue my intellectual curiosity. You see, years after I graduated with my PhD, my love of learning did not stop. And one of the things I'll be forever grateful for is that you as a church allowed me to continue to scratch the itch of creativity and learning. I was able to go on life-giving trips to places where I could sit under gifted teachers and professors 
and think and learn. You, you allowed me to teach as an adjunct professor at Dallas Baptist University and Logston Seminary. You, you supported me several years ago when I began to write more and more uh, and, and tried to serve not just VRBC, but, but the kingdom of God outside of VRBC. And all along the way, you offered me study breaks and sabbaticals, and I, I don't think there's any way I could have maintained a 23-year-plus ministry without those Sabbath breaks. You, you gave me that. You invested that in me. And so many things um, in the great adventure, we've just seen so much growth. We have added staff and buildings. There was a time when I was the only full-time pastoral staff member here. Um, we've added staff, we've added buildings, we've added ministries, we've added so many mission partners, so many missionaries today. Thank God for you every Sunday because of what you do. Um, we, we deepened our partnership with Cornerstone. We launched the, the Christmas store. We've seen God do so many cool things. But several years ago, I, I started to feel an internal struggle. And I don't think there's a, a single answer as to why. I, I know the part of it is just the lengthy accumulation of stress in a high-profile job like this. I've likened it to when you go camping and you have that big backpack, you know, and, and when you've got your walking poles and you're walking upright, you, you do fine. But then it, when you get to your camp and you put that pack down, <laughs> you go, wow, <laughs> that's heavy. And then when you pick it up again, you go, oh my gosh, that is so heavy. And I think what happened to me was just years and years of carrying the, the backpack. I just began to feel some of that accumulated stress. And, you know, there was a season where there was some disagreement over our vision at times or over the clumsy way we implemented our vision. And then the year 2020 turned into, I guess, my hardest year ever. And maybe some of you would say the same thing. Uh, it was the year of the pandemic. I lost my mom. There were a lot of hard experiences that year. But through it all, Jesus still had my back. <laughs> People close to me, especially on our church council, helped me find resources to help me. Uh, to, they, they helped me find resources to bear up under the stress of the backpack and to carry it faithfully. Uh, I enrolled in a, a three-year program of spiritual formation at a place called the Transforming Center in Chicago. That was wonderful for me. I, I sought out a, a spiritual director who helped me in my prayer. After the chaos of 2020, I listened to wise counsel and found a, a wonderful therapist. You know, for years and years, I'd said to people, probably said to many of you, there's no stigma in seeing a therapist. Healthy people do what it takes to stay healthy. I'd said that, said that, said that, but I hadn't followed my own counsel. Uh, but starting in 2021, I, I did, and that was one of the best decisions I ever made. And then you did a beautiful thing as a church in 2020, and that is you helped us restructure our staff for greater effectiveness. And I cannot tell you how helpful that has been uh, for me. And at the risk of singling folks out, I would have to say that the, the extraordinary leadership that John Hewlett has given has helped me excel at what I do best, those 200 year old, what pastors used to do kinds of things. And, uh, and I've had a chance to watch John lead skillfully in areas uh, where I struggle. And I'm just so grateful to you. 
But still, during these t- years, you know, during these times of stress and times of joy, uh, which is like a definition of life, right? Stress and joy. I think in my prayer time, I think in my prayer journal, there was one word more than any other that kept popping up, and it was the word stewardship. It's funny, Amy mentioned it earlier. Uh, often when we speak of stewardship, we mean you know, stewarding our, our money, our resources. But for me, in, in this perspective, stewardship meant stewarding the gifts that God had given me and the accumulated experiences and lessons that God had taught me uh, in, in, in this great adventure with you especially. And I began to feel this desire to give more focused attention to teaching and thinking and reflecting and writing on all the things you've taught me in a, a quarter century of pastor, pastoring. And I'm not gonna lie, these thoughts, uh, these thoughts and feelings about possibly leaving BRBC, they were very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. I mean, to pastor well it requires your full attention, right? your full commitment to the future. And, uh, and I struggle with this. Last fall, a friend, a New Testament professor at Truett Seminary uh, let me know of a position uh, that was gonna come open, a brand new position that he thought I'd be a good fit for. And I've long been a fan of Truett Seminary. I feel a great resonance with Truett and her mission. And, uh, and, and this job got my attention. Uh, it, this particular job is designed for a practitioner, a, a clinician, somebody like me who's teaches pastoral ministry after spending uh, decades and decades in in pastoral ministry. Um, And there was something about it that just felt really inviting to me. But guess what? That little Captain Kirk boy that I showed you at the beginning, he's still in here. And I began to feel that old familiar timidity. Like, can I do this? Can I really launch into a new career at my age? I'm 61, right? Will I be able to effectively teach and mentor others? Timidity. (laughs) But I felt like Jesus was leading me to apply, and I did. And uh, a few weeks ago, they officially sent an invitation for me to join the faculty, which leads to this chapter, this present moment, chapter six. after the great adventure for me, uh, a new adventure. In God's timing, Julia and I will be moving back once again near that Brazos River. And my goal will be to take what you've taught me and others have taught me and share it with a rising generation of pastors. I mean, the world right now needs this new crop of pastors and it's not necessarily easy to pastor in the present day. And I just feel like God is is going to equip me to share how he's been faithful to me and invest that in a new generation. And I hope to continue this journey of intellectual curiosity as I I have time to reflect and write and teach and mentor. And so Truett Seminary um, will be my new work home. And in the same way the Lord has kind of led me to find my voice and calling as a pastor, I I believe that now God is calling me there. Um, And I pray that I'll be able to find the same courage that Paul urged on Timothy to launch this new career. 
But you know what, at the same time, I plan to continue my core calling of my life, and that is to be a shepherd leader. It is to continue to be a pastor, only this time to be a pastor of pastors, so to speak. And I pray that I will do so through the power of the Holy Spirit. But of course, if the Lord is inviting me to a new chapter, he's also inviting you into a new chapter. And I know, church, this is a lot to absorb. Uh, Your mind is probably filled with questions. I will say to you that for me personally, I have not even begun to contemplate the grief I will feel when I'm no longer able to fellowship with you week to week. Um, I'm sure you know this, but (laughs) you are an amazing people. You have assembled an incredible staff. They love God. They love you. They love each other. They love to serve. They're humble. They're gifted. You don't always see that go together. They're passionate. Um, I know you'll be fine. (laughs) But we'll miss you so much. But As I draw to a close of this message, um, which is not my last message, but you got two more months of me, by the way. But but as I draw to a close of this message, um, I just want to say two things. The first thing I want to say is this, the same spirit of Jesus who is leading me is leading you. Same spirit, right? 2 Timothy 1.7 applies to you as a church just like it applies to me. And I just want you to know I'm so profoundly grateful to God for where our church finds herself today. I have seen a lot of versions of VRBC and I, the, the 2023 version is incredible. You you as a church just seem to be hitting on all cylinders. God has such great plans for you. And I know that God will bring you a pastor with new energy and new vision that is needed for this exciting season in the life of our church. So, so remember, please, 2 Timothy 1.7, the spirit that God gives VRBC does not make us a timid church. It makes us a powerful and a loving and a disciplined church. So first thing, same spirit leading me leads you. And I know that our church council and lay leaders and staff will, and you will safeguard our culture and steward God's blessings. That's the first thing I wanted to say. And the second thing I wanted to say is from the bottom of my heart, Thank you for the privilege of a lifetime of being your pastor. Thank you, church. This time I want to recognize uh, my friend, uh, chair of our church council, Tony Howard, and I think Deirdre Lanou from our church council may be coming as well. And um, welcome, Tony. Thank you, Larry, for sharing your story. Um, I have to say that's the best uh, resignation sermon I've ever heard. Um, 
pardon me, I deal with stress through humor, so. Uh, but I'll, I'll stick to this so we don't freestyle further. Um, that's a lot to process uh, for us as a body. Um, but I wanted to share some thoughts with you guys. Um, in, the specter, in the spectrum of pastor transitions, this is a happy one. You know, you think about how pastors leave. We don't see headlines about pastor leaves after 24 years of faithful service. We see things that talk about disgrace or, um, or being embittered and exhausted. Um, Larry is taking a job at his alma mater to be two hours closer to his grandkids. Like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so congratulations for pulling that off. Um, personally, uh, I'm excited for God's church that a pastor like Larry is going to lead future generations uh, of pastors on how to lead the church with humility and grace. For those of you that have adult kids, <clears throat> um, excuse me, your children may not have found pastors that lead in this way. So I'm thankful that Larry's going to be out there leading people with humility and grace and modeling that. Um, <clears throat> also, you know, this Larry's message wasn't one of, hey, this is my last message, last message, got to run. Um, Larry's giving us some, some time to process, some time to grieve, some time to celebrate. Uh, and we should be grateful for that. That time will pass by quicker than we expect, but we've got a couple of more months. Um, also, we have a great staff here at Veer BC. Um, yes. In the past few years, I've served in a couple of roles, uh, church council more recently, uh, and all the staff that I work with that I get to know, the more I get to know them, the more I work with them, the deeper my affection and appreciation for them is. And I think through this season, you guys at church body are gonna see that as well. Um, a couple more points. Um, we cannot stop being the church. We don't need to press pause on growing deeper, on reaching community, on serving others and one another. Um, while our senior pastor may change, um, what drew you here may have been Larry's preaching, but it more than likely was complimented by the community that you felt here at VRBC. If I may talk about my own story for a moment, Helen and I joined this church in 1998. Um, our second sermon, our second uh, uh, worship that we attended here, uh, the senior pastor resigned. But we kept coming. We kept coming because of people like John and Angela Miller who had invited us, of Sid and Tanya Murphy, of Chris and Karen Griffiths, of Trey and Dana DeLoach, and Jeff and Anna Hazelrig, among others. Um, Miss Teresa and Amy Weedy loved on our kids when they, when they came. Um, each of those people were Jesus' hand and feet on a daily basis whether Valley Ranch Baptist had a senior pastor in that moment or not. And we have that same opportunity now. <clears throat> now I get to talk like I'm a church council chair for a minute uh, and talk about some formalities. We have to process this, of course, but our church body doesn't wither away. Our bylaws that our church organization has provide us some guidance. And I'm gonna list through these uh, and you'll get some more information about that later. Um, 
but the steps that our bylaws prescribe are going to highlight them as follows. The church council evaluates whether a pause is appropriate at this time to update beliefs, long-range plans, and the church, church's mission and constitution bylaws prior to the start of the senior pastor search committee. After that period is concluded, the church council ministry placement team partner to identify, recruit, and recommend for appointment a search committee. The church must approve that search committee, so that'll be submitted to a vote. Um, a job description will be developed along with other materials to recruit candidates. We go through the standard uh, candidate recruitment process that you deal with and other organizations you're familiar with. We identify candidates, we select candidates to interview, select a final one. Uh, the candidate is presented to the church council and ultimately the church body for vote. So those processes will happen. Those processes, they're not going to go like that. It will, it will be a bit of a journey. Um, a couple of other thoughts in closing. As you leave today, a handout will be made available that considers what we thought might be frequently asked questions. We don't think we've answered all the questions, but we thought some, some of the ones that are logical to come to mind, we would try to answer for you. Um, that FAQ is not to be the, the end of communication, but the start of communication. In that FAQ, you'll find contact information for myself and the other church council members. If you've got additional questions, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, but we will communicate often as we go through this journey together. Around noon today, an email will go out to the church body with a video and the same FAQ document. Um, finally, prayer is an important part of who we are as a church. We have a prayer gathering this Wednesday. We'd love to invite you to join us there as we pray for our church as we go forward, as well as for Larry and Jolita. And finally, I'd like to ask Deirdre Lanou, a dear friend who also serves on our church council, to come and lead us in prayer. Thank you. I know our hearts are full. Uh, lots of emotions, lots of thoughts. So let's go to the Father and let's pray together. Lord and creator of the universe, we Acknowledge you as our Father and as our Lord and the one who is good and the one who has purpose in all things. Lord, we thank you too that you indeed are our good shepherd and that in the midst of all the changes and seasons of life, you are present. You are with us. You are guiding us. We want to thank you for the ministry of Pastor Larry and his family for 24 years. His steadfast, faithful, humble leadership that has challenged us, challenged us to love you more deeply and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Challenged us to be on mission for your kingdom's sake as we intentionally seek to love our neighbors challenged us to intentionally follow you together with unity in the midst of the beautiful diversity. 
We pray for Larry and Jalita as they answer this new call. We're so excited for the impact that you'll have on these pastors in training at Truett through his wisdom and his experience. Bless Jalita as well as she seeks to establish her practice, her ministry as well, there in the Waco area. Abba Father, guide us in this season of transition and change. We are grateful that we will have Pastor Larry's presence and wisdom for another few months. We know and trust, just as Larry has said this morning, that you have a plan for us just as you have a plan for him, and that you will guide us as we seek you with all of our heart. We pray for our staff who will most deeply feel the impact of this change. Help us to be more intentionally supportive of them and to encourage them in every way that we can. Father, protect us from the evil one who will always seek to distract us from your purpose. Guard our unity as we discern together what you have in store for VRBC in this new season. We have so much to be thankful for. Father, you are good. Now more than ever, empower us to passionately follow Jesus together. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.